have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. I was uh, looking at Facebook this week, and I, I do that through the week, and I always enjoy the things I see. But one I was really encouraged about, Miranda graduated from summer school. So that's a, a amen. Let's give her a amen. <laughs> so she's on a fast track to graduate in two years from college. No, I'm teasing. So, but that's exciting. Scott, when are you heading out to OU? Uh, two weeks. Unbelievable. Their kiddo's heading off to college. Still have one more card that hasn't been opened. I'll still leave it up here. Anybody interested in grabbing that, open it. See what God challenges you to do in the next year. Would uh, encourage you to do that. We start a new series today. Life questions. Does God exist? In February of 2009, a group of scientists uh, gathered at Chicago's Fermilab to conduct some experiments in trying to discover the God particle, as they described it. Physicists believe that the God particle is a special substance that holds matter together. But they were doing all of these uh, uh, tests, and atoms consist of protons and electrons and neutrons, and there are 17 subatomic particles that have been discovered and they believed that if they could smash all of these particles, it would somehow create this big bang that they claim happened for creation. What they couldn't understand is how matter holds itself together and maintains its integrity. So they were trying to pinpoint this God particle. One of the physicists in assessing their progress, asked the question that his mother kept asking him. And that question was, have you found God yet? <laughs> to which he said, no, we haven't. But maybe they're looking in the wrong place. And that's the problem with most people today, is that they're looking for God perhaps in the wrong places. Paul encouraged the same type of confusion and the same type of uncertainty as he walked through the Mars Hill area in Athens. We're going to spend today in Acts chapter 17. So if you would open your Bibles there. We're going to be looking at some passages that are important for us to see and learn as we answer the question, does God exist? Many of the messages in August are going to be dealing with questions like this, some of them deep. You might say, boy, I'm not ready to go that deep, preacher. Ride with me anyway. Because these are important, especially parents and grandparents, as you talk to your young people and what they bring home from school and the science books and the textbooks that they work through, you need to give them the counterbalance of creation found in Scripture. All right? But this idea in Acts 17 where Paul in verse 23 mentions the inscription on one of the idols that they had posted there to the unknown God. 
They had a God of the grass, a God of the sky, a God of the wind, a God of the rain, a God of the whatever. But they thought, well, we better make sure we put an unknown one in there just in case we miss somebody. You ever pray like that? Lord, forgive me for this, 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 and anything else I've done. <laughs> That's kind of what they did. They wanted to make sure they got every, every idol covered. Every area covered. So they put this, this uh, idol of the unknown God. But when we reflect on does God exist, there's a few options that we have. Number one, the choices are before us. There are several choices before us. In verses 16 and verse 29 of chapter 17, Paul gives us the first response or first choice. And that would be the atheist choice. And that choice is no, there's not a God. He does not exist. Let's look at those verses. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that city was full of idols. And then verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. The atheist believes that idols are the answer. The atheist believes that God doesn't exist. And he considers all concepts of God human inventions. That's what verse 29 says. <coughs> but he contrasts the true God against anything that can be conceived or created by man. In April 8th of 1966, America got its first real experience with atheistic philosophy. Frederick Nietzsche quoted, or made this great, great quoted claim, God is dead. And so, Newsweek, uh, excuse me, Time Magazine put on the front cover of April 8th, 1966, pictureless, black, the words, is God dead? So we were introduced to this concept. The second one is the agnostic. And he would say, maybe. Maybe. The first part of verse 18 says, A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. That is, Paul. These two philosophies believe that if a god or gods do exist, they are impersonal and removed from human experience. Humans, according to them, the Epicureans and Stoics, could not know the gods, and the God was, He didn't really want to know about you personally. But that smacks in the face of what we're taught in the New Testament, doesn't it? Especially in Philippians chapter 2, where it says, He humbled Himself and became like a man, and put Himself in our shoes, and walked in our walk, humbled Himself and became a man. The third choice. You've got no, you've got maybe, and then the third choice is yes. That's the advocate that God exists. Verse 17, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So he would reason with them, Paul would. He would talk to them related to their uh, philosophy or what they thought or their traditions. And he would reason with them about God. And he declared with authority and with certainty 
that God is real and that He has invaded human existence to redeem fallen man by His Son, Jesus Christ. But is that just an academic exercise? What difference does one's view of God really matter? Well, let me give you some ideas here. Because there are consequences of belief or unbelief. Do you believe that? Because there are. He says so in verses 30 and 31. Look, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to do what? What's your Bible say? He commands them all to do what? Say it out loud. That's it. Repent. 31. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer said this, Ideas have consequences. And no concept or thought has the significance of the existence of God. The answer to the question will affect your understanding of other significant issues. Let me give you some ideas in that respect. What about eternity? Is there life after death? Is there a heaven and a hell? Well, verse 31, the writer of the book of Acts tells us that God has set a day for judgment. So He's going to do it. You've got to be ready for it. And if you're outside the kingdom, if you're outside a relationship with Jesus Christ in a personal way, you got a problem. Amen? I, I should get a hearty amen. Okay, well, that's as hearty as it gets in, on August the 1st. I got, is, the, is the temperature not brutal? All of you that love warm weather, raise your hands. God bless you. God bless you. The two of you in here. All of us that love cooler weather and colder weather, raise your hands. There's the majority. God love you out there. <laughs> so you, you two people that love warm weather, when it gets cold, be quiet. All right? Don't be talking about how cold it is. And thank God for uh, air conditioning. It seems to be working this, this Sunday. Praise the Lord. But eternity. He set a day for it. How about morality? What is right and wrong? God commands in verse 30. He, he, he says He commands. Paul says that God commands. He indicates that God has established rules for us to follow. God has set up the behaviors that He considers to be right and wrong. And we need to follow Him. He's the standard of measure. His Word is the standard of measure. Raising children and having been a child, I always like to buck my dad's thought process. Any of you have that same bent about you? Because there's just something about your parents telling you what's right or wrong, and you being so smart anyway, you already know what's going on. After all, they're old fogies and they're out of touch. They're way aloof from what really should be happening in a young person's life. Can I get an amen there? Then you turn this magical age where you start to have your own children, and they start to behave like you. Amen? Or they, they behave like the spouse that you're married to. There we go. If they were good children, they were Cindy's. If they were bad children, they were mine. Amen? And of course, we never had any bad children. Amen? Ha! My children had halos all the time. Held on by the horns that came out quite often. 
Morality. What's, what do we think about that? How about relationships? Should I commit to a relationship? Well, just consider the marriage vow. If God doesn't want us to make commitments, then getting married and making commitments is crazy. We should just throw it aside. How about religion? Which religion is right? Well, according to verse 16, they had idols for every religion you could find. So, is it right? Well, at some point we've got to ask about the validity of our object of worship. What is important to you? I mean, football season is coming up. I mean, there's just no doubt. Des Bryant rolled up his ankle at, at, at the training camp down in Dallas. Season's over. They got nobody to throw the ball to. Uh-oh. T.O. went to Cincinnati. Him and Ocochinko. Which one are they going to throw to? Who's going to be the maddest that they don't get the ball thrown to them? These are life issues now. Are you with me? Denver. Our beloved Broncos. Will Tim Tebow start? Or will he not? Sam Bradford. Lost the uh, St. Louis Rams. Guaranteed $50 million. Every woman in America is lining up. <laughs> we were sitting in Hugo's yesterday and one of the waitresses, young waitresses, saw the headline. She goes, wow. I said, he's looking better, isn't he? <laughs> she has a lip ring. I said, I'm sorry, I read an article where he said lip ring's got to go. She said, it's out of here. <laughs> not, that I, not that I keep up with any of that stuff. I, you understand what I'm saying. But which religion is right? Do we have other objects of worship in front of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How about purpose? Why am I here? Does life have legitimate meaning? Are humans unique from the rest of creation? How about truth? What is truth? Ideas have consequences. The absence of the knowledge of God has serious consequences. In October of 2009, five boys, ages 13 to 15, sitting right up here on the front row, in Miami, Florida, set another boy on fire because that boy told on one of them and got him in trouble. So they cornered him by a swimming pool, they held him down, they poured rubbing alcohol all over his body and set him on fire. Now he was able to jump in the water, but 60% of his body had been burned. And the worst part was the lack of conscience on the part of those boys. Only one of them in jail, they were all in jail, and only one of them said, I was sorry, and expressed remorse over what happened. The other, the other four just laughed about it. Just laughed about it. Because there's no conscience about what they did. What is truth? If you don't have the Word of God as your standard of truth and your standard of measure, we're in trouble. That's why we're in trouble. It's because we pushed the Word of God aside and started living by what we thought it said and by what we wanted it to say. There we go. Now I want to build a case for you as we close on the existence of God. Somewhat might ask, is there any proof or why would we really want to believe in God? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's, let me give you four. First is, the, well, actually, I'm going to give you five. The biblical, biblical observation is found in Genesis 1 and verse 1. Now, I'm going to do something a little different. I want somebody to read that out real loud for me. Somebody have that? Turn to Genesis 1 and verse 1 and read it out loud for me. 
Stand up and read it out loud. Anybody got it? Destiny, stand up there on your chair and do that. Read it out loud, little sister. Stand up so they can see you on that chair. I know she can talk loud. We'll find out how she reads. In the beginning, what's the next word? In the beginning, God. You don't even need to go the rest of the verse. Because that verse alone states God was in existence. In the beginning, God. We don't need to go any further, do we? No, it's easy for us. We're in the household of faith, aren't we? Mark has had an interesting summer in Scotland. Thank you for allowing him to be there and to help him on his trip. But he shared with me one incident where he was out at a coffee shop just talking to young people, young adults. And he got hold of one fellow who was having a great conversation and brought up God and brought up the church, brought up things. And the guy goes, looks at Mark, and he's in his 20s. He looks at Mark and he goes, God, why do I need God? I've never had Him. I've never seen a need for Him. So why do you say I need Him now? And I love that because it challenged my 22-year-old preacher, a preparing son, to come up with an answer. What would you say to that 20-something person sitting in a coffee shop? And they don't have to be in Scotland. You can find them across the river at Starbucks. You can find them in Walmart and Reesers. They're everywhere because they want to know, why, why trust God? Why put my hope in God? I don't have Him. I don't need Him. I never have. We've got to come up with an answer, don't we? We need to find out. We need to be able to share with them why. Well, let me give you four extra biblical arguments for God's existence. The Bible argument is that God is a reality. But the four extra Bible ones are the ontological argument. That is the concept of God. Paul says it right here in 17. Pick it up at verse 22. Then Paul stood in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see you in every way. You're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your object of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now that you worship, uh, now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. So Paul just took that opportunity to share with them about the unknown God and how real he was, how active he was, and how powerful he is and why do the vast majority of cultures cultures in the world have a concept of god and of morality even cannibals do how do they do that it's because god is innate in all creation when he breathed into man the breath of life he created what everything else around us it has god's stamp on it That's how we know. Now the problem in those cultures is they don't know who that higher power is. They don't know who all those gods are. So Paul was zeroing in on the one that's important. Then you've got the second argument away from the Bible called the origin of matter or the cosmological argument. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. Charles Ryrie is a Christian scholar, has a study Bible that he put together. It's an excellent Bible. Uh, I would encourage you to buy it with his his study notes there. 
But he said this, if something now exists, then it either came from nothing or it came from something that pre-existed. <laughs> so in essence, God is the ultimate something that precedes everything. You ever ask that question? Maybe a child's asked you that question. Where did God come from? What do you say? He always was. It makes no sense because we don't understand that. We don't get, because all of us had a beginning and we'll have an end. God didn't. That's what makes him who he is. That's what makes him what he is. Remember when Mark Barrier was here teaching us on Saturday, he talked about how the enormity of the, of the universe, and he talked about that one star that they've discovered that uh, how many, 10,000 of our suns would fit inside that star. And then you stretch that on out and show earth, it's not even a speck on the radar. And yet that's the place that God sent His Son Jesus to, to save us from ourselves. That's incredible to stop and think about it. The origin of the matter. Thirdly, is the, or, the evidence of design, the teleological argument. Again, in verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by hands. Our world is full of complexity. And within that complexity, we find incredible order. Charles Ryrie says again, Random action could never have produced the highly integrated organization that we observe in the world today. If I were to hold up for you a box of toothpicks, any of you ever, you have a box of toothpicks at home? Anybody? Then when you open the lid to the box, what do you see? Toothpicks laying in, in perfect order, right? Just piled up in there. If logic told me, and I followed evolution or I followed other than a creator God, I could put a firecracker in the box, close the lid, let it explode, and somehow a bridge would be built out of those matchsticks. That'd be great, wouldn't it? It doesn't happen. If you put a firecracker in there and set it off in those matches, what are going to happen to them? I started to do that this morning. Bring a firecracker and, do the, and just set it off in here. And I thought, oh, well, I'll lose about half of them. So... But just think about it. How many of you have a watch, a wear a watch? Okay? Take a look at that watch. That watch has intricate pieces inside of it, doesn't it? All of them work together to make the time move around and stay accurate. True? If there's not a creator, then we could take that watch, take it all apart, put it in a box, shake it up, and throw it across the table. From this end of the communion table to that end. And by the time it got over here, it would jump up and be a watch. Now, what does it take more faith to believe? That or that a Creator God spoke it into being? The evidence of design. Then the fourth argument is the anthropological argument, the uniqueness of humans found in verses 28 and 29. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. Humans differ from the whole of creation. We have intellect, moral judgment, self-awareness. We have a knowledge of God. We can honestly explain those differences without acknowledging a God or like being, or at least we try to and we really can't. Because when you argue against Him, you're proving that He's there. 
The atheist who says, he argues there's no God, there's no God, there's no God. Then why talk about it? <laughs> why talk about it? If you don't believe it, fine. No problem. But I've never seen an atheist in a foxhole. <laughs> 30 seconds after an atheist dies, I'd love to ask him, how's it working for you? 30 Philosophical arguments are there. Animals don't have a moral objection to stealing or killing because God made it within us and we do. But is there concrete proof of number one, God exists, number two, the God of the Bible is a real God, and number three, Jesus is truly the Son of God? I say absolutely. There's one indisputable historical evidence and that's found in verse 31. Let's take a look again. For He has set a day when he would judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed, he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The resurrection validates and proves the existence of God. Ultimately, Christianity rises and falls on that reality. Without the resurrection, you and I have no hope. Without the resurrection, we can pray all we want to a cross that's empty. But because of the resurrection, <clears throat> we have promise. Attached to the resurrection. The promise is we get to go see him again. In Acts, first part of Acts, the disciples were gazing with their mouths open while Jesus ascended to heaven. The angels came and said, Why do you stand gazing into heaven? The same way you saw him go, you will see him come again. Woohoo! He's coming back. You better get yourself ready. Well, I'm not sure I'm ready for it. Well, you need to get ready. You need to get ready. Because that's what's important to do. Charles Colson. One time Watergate, criminal, turned founder of prison fellowship, was challenged about the truth of Christ's resurrection. And here's his response. You've got to hear this. My answer is always that the disciples and 500 others gave eyewitness accounts of seeing Jesus risen from the grave. But then I'm asked, how do you know they were telling the truth? Maybe they were perpetrating a, a lie. Chuck Colson says, my answer to that comes from an unlikely source, Watergate. He writes, Watergate involved a conspiracy perpetrated by the closest aides to the President of the United States, the most powerful men in America who were intensely loyal to their President, but one of them, John Dean, turned state's evidence. That is, he testified against Richard Nixon, and as he put it, to save his own skin. And he did so only two weeks after informing the President about what was really going on. And the cover-up, Colson goes on to say, the lie could only be held together for two weeks and then everybody else jumped ship to save themselves. Now all those around the president were facing embarrassment, maybe prison, but nobody's life was at stake. But what about the disciples? Chuck Colson goes on to say, twelve powerless men, peasants really, facing not just embarrassment or political disgrace, but beating, stonings, execution. Every one of the disciples insisted to their dying breaths that they had physically seen Jesus bodily raised from the dead. Don't you think that one of those apostles would have cracked before being beheaded or stoned? That one of them would have made a deal with the authorities? None did. Men will give their lives for something they believe to be true. They will never give their lives for something they know to be false. The Watergate cover-up, he goes on to say, reveals the true nature of humanity. Even political zealots at the pinnacle of power will in the crunch 
save their own necks, even at the expense of the ones they professed to serve so loyally. But the apostles could not deny Jesus because they had seen Him face to face and they knew He had risen from the dead. He goes on to say, no, you can take it from an expert in (laughs) cover-ups. I've lived through Watergate. Not that nothing less than a resurrected Christ could have caused those men to maintain their dying whispers that Jesus is alive and is Lord. 2,000 years later, nothing less than the power of the risen Christ could inspire Christians around the world to remain faithful despite prison, torture, and death. Jesus is Lord. That's the thrilling message. It's a historic fact. One convincingly established by the evidence. And one you can bet your life upon. Father, we ask You this morning as we prepare to share an invitation time that You would be very real in each of our hearts. That, Father, we would sense Your presence today. That we would understand that You truly do exist. And, Father, our responsibility as an individual person created by You, breathed Your life, breathed into us, That, Father, we would respond to that knowledge. We would respond to know that You are Lord and Savior. That You came, walked among us, struggled as we struggle, tempted as we're tempted, yet without sin. And because of my sin, our sin, it drove You to the cross. And so, Father, I pray this morning that if there's somebody here that needs a special touch of Your Spirit in their life, that You'll move on them. You'll prompt them. And they will have the courage to respond. Father, there are people here that just need to be forgiven. They've hurt somebody or been hurt by somebody. Maybe there's somebody here that's carrying shame in their life. Shame over an incident that happened years ago and they've just never released themselves from that shame. Oh, they took it to you, but somehow they kept it on and didn't release it. It'd be a great day for them to let that go. God, whatever it is that somebody needs to respond to, would you give them that opportunity this morning? Would they seize that opportunity this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this great song. God's prompting you, moving you in some way. Would you respond?